Welcome to Chasing Possible, a podcast where I sit down with ReliQuest founder and CEO, Brian Murphy. And as we go through the story of ReliQuest history, each episode is designed to give you a look into the mindset we've relied on to make security possible. Now let's go get it. Coming off the capital raise with FTV in 2016, things are happening fast. As we move into 2017 and 18, Murph talks about introducing the first board, our first international office in Dublin, and laying out the framework of what eventually became known as Grey Matter. All right, Murph, we're back. 2017, man. What 2017. are we doing? How are we doing? What's going on? 2017, well, you know, we, we, we raised capital in 2016. That was a big moment. So uh, spent the balance of, of that year. You got to operate the business. We're growing like crazy. Uh, introducing a new board, our first, our first real board of directors. And so we had members of um, FTV Capital and Kyle Griswold on the board and Lerone Giddick and uh, Tim Holcomb is on our board. And um, so we're, we're growing like crazy and, and starting to formalize how we report on certain things. What was that like for you? So this is first board of directors, right? This is the, I, I, don't, I can't imagine their... Um, there probably had to be some, I don't know, is there letting go for you? Is this weird to have now a, a group of people that are here to tell you what to do? I don't, like, like, how did you work with them? Yeah, so FTV, first, they're great. I mean, culturally, they have a do-no-harm attitude around um, when, when you're winning, there's not a lot to change and tweak, so they'd make a lot of suggestions, right? Um, reporting structure, how to report on ARR and certain metrics we should be tracking, but they were really hands off. They were just in, in learning mode and they're a great example. And I think the right investor, they do it the right way where they come in and they're not going to make changes. They're not going to make, you know, they invested in you because they believed in you and they want to come in and learn. So they did a lot to learn the business. Um, and for me, I made the decision, one of my rules uh, we talked about, I created kind of like 10, my top 10 rules of no fly zone. But one of the rules for myself was I wasn't going to change um, who I am or who we are as a company. We're not going to treat the board any differently uh, than we treat our, our teammates. We treat our customers. So I'm going to talk to them in the same tone and share the same information. So I'm not going to create one reporting for the board and one reporting for the company. Gotcha. Um, I wanted them to be, you know, we're, they're investors with us, right? So I went from, you know, uh, they, they own a share of this company that we've been building together. So I want them to share in all the information as well. And I th- that's an important point is that transparency point. Um, you can't be afraid to let somebody in. Like if you want to get better, you, you got to open yourself up to this is good and this is bad. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I did spend kind of the balance of 16 and then the 17 kind of waiting for something to change, right? You hear all these horror stories about private equity firms and growth equity firms, and they all tell you, we're founder friendly, we want to support the management team. But then you hear the horror stories of them investing and coming in and gutting everybody and changing everything and painting all the walls a certain color and all that. And I've never experienced that in all of our years of capital. And I think it's um, we did the work on the front end to make sure we selected the right partner. They did the work on the front end to make sure they selected the right company. And then we worked together pretty well. And it's it's all about people. You know, Kyle Griswold and Richard Liu and Lerone Giddick were just great. Uh, and they were curious and asked the right questions and tried to help where they could. So um, 17 was 
we're just we're growing like crazy, man. We we couldn't keep up with it, right? We're formalizing a lot of processes and um, just continuing that um, that grind forward. And you know, uh, as as we're recording this now in in 2023, I say that uh, I feel like the market's coming towards us. And you know, it's been one or maybe two times in uh, our our history where I felt like that. And I'd say, you know, 17, that 16, 17, 18 run was one of them. I mean, it was just, we were onboarding customers left and right, expanding like crazy. We had Vegas opening, that's Vegas open, that's humming. But I'll tell you what, we started to really point towards um, as GDPR and other things that kind of all the data privacy stuff started to change over in the European Union. We, um, we knew we had to be in Europe. We, we knew we had to make mm-hmm. that jump. And we, we started to get real thoughtful around um, where we wanted to be and, and how, to, how do you figure out to one thing, being from Middleburg, Florida, and you know, starting a company here in Tampa and figuring out Vegas. It's another thing to think about Europe, right? Um, sure. So we started to really wrap our arms around and our minds around what does it look like to go and where are we going to go for our first international office. So that was uh, – that was a lot of the thought process coming into 17, a lot of work that we did um, uh, throughout the year was figuring out that next international location in amongst growing like crazy right. and expanding and hiring. I mean, um, just hiring a ton of people. So, How, Like, take us through that a little bit when you talk about hiring a bunch of people, formalizing processes. Like, there's so many things that, that have to happen um, to scale, right, and, and to scale effectively. Like... What were some things that you learned along the way that you like, whoop, messed up there, probably should have done that? You know, like, what, what were some of those early lessons on, like, when you're just crushing it, but at the same time, you got to keep keep up with the demand? Well, there are no shortcuts, right? You have to you have to be uniquely yourself. We have to keep the mindset of the company stable. I mean, at this point, we're still working with Trev. Um, we've got the mental performance aspect of the business, and um, I think that one of the things that we learned is when we hired, especially leaders from outside the company that we have to make sure they're bought in Mm. to that concept that they're willing to buy in, you know, they're over themselves enough to, to come in and do the work to learn. Um, so a lot of the mistakes that we made or I made over time is thinking there'd be some easy button of going to hire somebody that worked for XYZ company. And so they're automatically going to teach us how to scale in this area well, they could. They're just going to make you look like that last company they left. They're not coming in to learn the ReliQuest way and understand it and then taking what they know and adapting it to the best way to evolve us to where we needed to get. So a lot of missteps in hiring, um, a lot of, uh, you know, incorrect vetting. And, um, and then sometimes when we did hire the right person, not uh, you know, onboarding them correctly and getting up the speed correctly. So this is where I started to see a lot of the cracks around, you know, we're promoting from within a ton. We're bringing people from the outside. And these are really the early days of the Leadership Academy. And we've done the Leadership Academy before. Um, we started Leadership Academy. I think our first one's like 2014. But really formalizing it in that 16, 17, 18, doing more classes um, streamlining onboarding a lot more. So onboarding started to get a little bit more formal. Um, you know, we made a lot of, of missteps and missstarts by, um, 
hiring titles instead of hiring for outcome and need. Mm. Um, and so learned a lot of lessons there, but it's a, it's a tough phase of growth. We're probably growing at 90 to a hundred percent. So, uh, every year, um, you're, you know, you're building the plane while you're flying it and driving the understanding around the organization that, um, it's supposed to be hard and growth is, is great, but growth is difficult. Um, everybody wanted to, you know, know where the manual was to pull it off the shelf and tell them what the next move was. Well, there's no manual. Like we got to write it as we go and trying to let people see the opportunity in that instead of the fear in that. Right. That's a, that's a big thing. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and now back to Europe. Yeah. So yeah, the small thing, Europe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, are, at this point, are, like, are you traveling over there? Are you are you looking at sites? Like, how do you decide what to do, where to go? Like, is this what the board helped you with? Like, like, how do you like what all goes into this decision? Yeah, so um, the board does help going FTV, and they have portfolio companies have locations everywhere, so they set up probably eight to ten conversations um, with just different CEOs and um, leaders of companies that had perspectives about what worked well and what didn't work well. Have to be careful there, though, um, because, you know, no two companies are the same. So you you just got to make sure you're understanding just because somebody has thinks one location is good for them doesn't mean it's automatically for you. And um, we had to look at where we hire out of and how we hire. And um, we had built out university programs already with the University of Central or University of South Florida and some others. And so really thought that would be a good opportunity. Like, where's the a, a collegiate talent base? Where do those students want to stay and live? Like, what's the Tampa of Europe, right? Where um, it's an area we can grow and, and make a big difference. And so we started to zero in. Um, obviously, it we had some same rules as we did going west as when we go east is um, – you know, is it, is there a direct plane flight? Can we get there pretty easily? Or is it an easier place to get to? It's not always direct. In fact, in Dublin, it wasn't when we first got there. Um, still isn't. Um, but it's easier, right? Um, so some of those same rules, uh, we wanted a, a melting pot of talent, right? We wanted, um, largely English speaking, but with the opportunity to have other languages there. So we have to be able to communicate. We weren't really a scale to handle, that multi-language. I, I do think that's a mistake that companies make. They, they think that, you know, going global is kind of trendy. So they want to brag about all the countries they do business in. And the reality of it is if you're a five, 10, 15, $20 million company, you don't really have any business being in multiple countries. You can't sustain that. Right. And so, um, for me, we, we needed to, because 65% today of our companies are multinational and, the where we are interacting with our data, the rules were changing. So the problem that we were solving for required us to be in different locations. So I think it's important for people to frame up like it wasn't, oh, this is exciting. As a founder, I want to go open a, you know, I really love Ireland and I want to go open a place in Dublin. It's it's more of what was the need and what problem are we solving for? So using the same things that we've used to make every decision around RQ helped us make this one. Yeah, what we're... What were some of the early challenges with the first European office, right? So you get it established in Dublin. You know, you're, uh, were, were there certain lessons that you learned from the Vegas office now that, you know, Dublin office is open? Like, what were just some of the things that 
you're like, well, I didn't see that one coming, you know? Well, so we we set up this trip, and we're going to go on a discovery trip to see where we want to go. And we had all the conversations we had, the research that we'd done, pointed to Ireland, and there's okay. different places in Ireland where we could have gone, and Dublin's the clear hub. And I, I, I read the book Silicon Docs. Like, I just read everything that I could. Um, but Cork and other areas of, of Dublin were becoming big, big hotbeds. And so we had this plan where uh, we were going to land in Dublin and then make it over to um, these other locations, Cork, and there's a couple others. And uh, FTV had set up a couple one-on-ones with just portfolio companies they had over there. And, and fortunate enough, this guy was just brutally honest and said, hey, don't go anywhere else but but Dublin. He just gave us all these pain stories of trying to do it in other areas. It's more difficult to get to. And so that, that really helped us. Um, but we went, we met with um, Enterprise Dublin, a couple of just the um, national and local city uh, growth organizations that help recruit you. So they were very helpful in telling us, like showing us different office space and potential locations because Dublin proper is big, right? So where's the space going to be? But sure. the biggest challenge is always, always, where are you going to be? Where are you located? You know, what's the space going to look like? You know, ideally we wanted the sublease and, and we got in the, the, the real estate area and commercial real estate in Dublin at the time was really hot. So we found a place, great, we're going to lock it down. Two days later, gone. Somebody beat us in the contract. So there's all these like misstarts and, and misfires. So I think I was back and forth. I would I would fly out of New York. I'd fly to New York, fly overnight into Dublin, land at, you know, whatever it is, 9 or 10 a.m., um, shower, change, go straight to meet with the commercial realtors. We were using Cushman and Wakefield nationally. So the Cushman and Wakefield office here was coordinating with um, a rep there. And, um, and then we'd look all day pick a couple to bid on and I'd fly back the next day. So 24 hour trips, I probably did nine of them. Yeah. A group of us did, um, in that 17, uh, area that, that 2017. So it was a brutal amount of travel. Now this is in addition to all of our conferences, all of right. our prospects, yeah. all of our, we're still running the business, right? It's not like we get a break. Um, so well, that's what was, I was about to ask. Yeah, how, like, how, how were you able to stay focused or how did, were you able to keep the team focused on, making security possible for the customer while at the same time you're out on, you know, looking at sites in Dublin and 24 hour trips and, and still learning and still meeting with prospects and customer. Like how were you able to do all that? Well, it was, it was focus. Um, so there was a group of four people that knew we needed to go international. And there's a group of three that were gathering all the information and, and those three, you know, Colin, Greg, myself, um, we, we need other people. We'd pull them in. Greg um, Farrell. Greg Farrell. Greg Farrell, yeah. Okay. You know, but it was just understood this is in addition to. Like, we have a job to get done. Yeah. So, um, and it takes what it takes. So, most of our nights were, you know, you're five hours ahead. Most of our nights were doing our work back in the States. Quick trips. So, you're only really eating up 24 hours. Um, so, it was, it was a grind. So, the second half of 18 were in the Dublin office, still growing like crazy. Um, like what were some of our customers doing at this point? Like were we still, um, doing the same thing? I know last, you know, last year we talked about, you know, um, 
what, what were the problem that, that we were actually solving for, right? And we were honed in on that, and we've been doing that for a few years now. Like, as we're scaling, customers are understanding the problem that we solve for. Like, um, just what are you seeing at the end of 18? Yeah, so I'd say I'd start a little bit on the technology side on on 16, 17. I can remember the diligence with FTV Capital telling them that the model was going to pivot. Data is continuing to move, right? So um, 15, 16, 17, hearing more and more and more about hybrid cloud, third-party cloud, cloud-based applications, um, and and meaning we're hearing it from our customer being open to doing it, right? And, and these large enterprises are sometimes late adopters, some are early adopters. And so even in the diligence piece of FTV, I'm like, this company's going to look, we're going to solve the same problem. When the data moves, we've got to be able to detect, investigate, and respond uh, wherever that data is. And we were never tied to one technology, right? And that's the mistake that so many cybersecurity companies make is they want to come in and only integrate with one tech. Mm. Well, if you tie your wagon to... ArcSight, well, ArcSight's no longer, right? I mean, it's barely in existence. And so you just, you want to be able to adapt over time. So we've always been technology independent. Um, 2017, we're really laying out the framework of what became gray matter, right? We're looking at um, the, you know, translate layer. We built RQ Translate, which is the uniform translator as it evolved. Um you know, gray matter was really where the detection logic and machine learning was going to live. That was a module, right? You had RQ Vision. That was going to be the analytics piece or where you saw everything. And um, all of that stuff, We I remember um, Joe and I had talked about it, you know, Pfeiffer's uh, involved with it. We're talking about just really what we should be able to do with data. And, and this is controversial early on. I mean, I, this is another moment in our history where people are like, what are we doing? Um, and, uh, I remember getting frustrated because again, I feel like my job is the mindset of the company, you know, how we respond to things, how we react to things and to the pace, how fast we move. Yeah. And I felt like we had talked about this concept of, um, you know, of, of what became gray matter. And we were slowly slogging along, building it. And finally I got frustrated, uh, one day and in the morning I grabbed Partlow. So you can grab four or five, anybody you want. I walked over to this office that he used. It was a conference room that he was using as an office and, and wrote, uh, RQN, RQ next on the office. We didn't tell anybody what was going on in there. I said, don't come out until you have a working prototype. And I think it was, that was like a Tuesday and he had till Sunday at midnight and they just put their head down. And I mean, it was there, the food that just combinations of food smells in that room were not good <laughs> after six imagine. straight days, but they delivered a working prototype. And, um, that's, that's how we, uh, moved away. We were ahead of the market moving away from the dependency of only a SIM. And, wow. and so, and now it seems really logical because your data is in your 365 environment and AWS environment and Proofpoint, Proofpoint has its own logging capabilities, its own detection capabilities. So that's where we are today, right? I mean, that's why the market's coming towards us, but it was pretty controversial while we were doing it. I think it confused the board. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, Jason Pfeiffer and I joke now that uh, there was a point in, in 2017, 2018, where um, he's like, I have no idea what we're doing. Like, this makes no sense to me. Um, and we had just put him in charge of product, like product management, right? So he here's a guy that 
was running our security operations center. We move into a product management role. He has no, he understands the theory. He just thinks it's not going to, not going to work. And he had every reason to think it wasn't going to work, but he was still willing to raise his hand. He's like, Hey, it's that old NASA thing. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm not going to be the reason we don't do it. And we joke about it now because I think it was about mid 2018 and maybe first part of 2018 where we walked to my office and he's like, I got you. I see you. I see it now. I see it now. So um, that's been, that was just an awesome moment, that 16, 17, 18, probably one of our gutsiest, this says a lot, one of our gutsiest, you know, two and a half years of our history was deciding we had this booming business. We could have stayed exactly the same and not changed. But if we did that, we'd be irrelevant today. We would not be our size today. So we were willing to, and not everyone understood it, right? Yeah. Partlow has always been kind of ahead, like he got it, um, and and so that was great. Pfeiffer's a just great cybersecurity technologist, and and was so helpful in poking at why he was concerned about it because it helped us build. Yeah. But was right in there, sleeves rolled up. Hey man, I I don't completely understand it, but I don't. You know, I don't know if I like it, but I don't dislike it. So, you know, so yeah. either way, I'm all in. And it was that all-in mentality, which was great. Uh, even our sales teams, I mean, I showed everybody in P3 the graphic we used to use to sell yeah. that I created, and it was awful. I mean, it was just terrible. <laughs> so it was a brutal time period, um, but it just shows you the customers at the time and our prospects understood it like in principle. And we were working with Comcast that had been trying to build the same thing themselves. And so it was a great validation and use case. And FTV Capital set up a meeting with UBS. I remember the the security leadership team from Global UBS, largest, one of the probably top five largest banks in the world. Um, and we went, I flew out last minute to uh, San Francisco because they were going to be in the FTV offices in San Francisco. So Joe Partlow and I hopped on a plane. I was actually in such a hurry because it's kind of a last minute thing um, that I was scurrying out of the house, had my suitcase, um, left, the, and then I got to the airport in the gate. I get a text from my wife. I look, and it's a picture of my suitcase in the garage. Uh, I went to get a bottle of water and never brought the suitcase. So <laughs> Joe and I were landing in just enough time that the malls and shops all around that San Francisco area, I had 20 minutes left uh, to hurry up and buy a suit that was just horribly not fit to me. It's like the <laughs> suit separate thing and shoes and everything. I had nothing. Bought it all in like 20 minutes. Um left, showed up the next day. I'm all sweating. Like we're just, you know, (laughs) couldn't find the office location. I put all this thought and I'm all worried that I look like hell. And one of the other founders is sitting there in jeans and a beat up t-shirt. I'm like, ah, here we go. I could have just, you know, so (laughs) just one of those funny times, but, um, but it was great. We met with the UBS team and we just laid out like the, the sketch of what we had built and where we wanted to take it, which is, we were talking about gray matter. We just didn't have the universal translator yet we hadn't kind of evolved it we hadn't yeah. broken enough things yet and uh and it, they were super helpful i just remember their their global head of architecture just said this is this is right like this yeah. is this is right and so when you have people validating comcast everybody saying like this is right not easy yeah like we don't know if it's possible but it's correct yeah um and and we went for it we were all in now we did this without outside capital like we'd raise money with ftv but we did this we built this without 
an engineering team without, I mean, so our teams, our security operations teams were working like one foot in one foot out doing both. It was, it was really cool. Um, now we should have looking back, the mistake I made is we should have formalized that product team more, um, and thrown more resources at it. Cause I'm sure, you know, we would have gotten there quicker, but in fairness, I don't think the market was ready for it at that point. Right. We needed, it wasn't that clear of an answer. And I think if we would have formalized it too fast, we, we just would have built another endpoint tool. And I, that isn't, that's not the goal. Right. Um, yeah. well, there's actually a running joke that there was an RQ sensor that Joe built and, um, and he brought it up every time. He's like, well, what if we use the sensor? And so we banned him. It was like an official rule. You're not allowed to talk about the sensor. And so, <laughs> right, Joe, that's in the book of do not mention it again. So now we did this eclectic IQ acquisition recently. We validated and uh, and, and now he feels um, redeemed that he should have built the RQ sensor. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of funny times there uh right around this time um you know i think in 18 was uh the threat care acquisition so uh i think it was probably mid to late 18 um maybe into 19 so we announced the opening of the dublin office to the world in uh q4 of of 2018 i think threat care was in that time period we knew marcus we've been working with marcus and Um, So just a lot of interesting stuff coming at us. Uh, It was it was happening fast. 